so very special. And yes, you're right. But I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. What the hell am I doing here? I don't belong here. I don't belong here. <laughs> I think that that is this week's teaser. shiny, happy, lovely, wonderful people who listen to our show. Unless you're not shiny, you're rather dull and you're not happy because, well, something bad's just happened, so you've decided to listen to our show to be happy. And we would make them happy, would we not? Unless we don't. Come on, get happy! I don't know the words to the rest of the song, but... Because you're singing... Come on, get happy! What's wrong with my... <coughs> Sorry, I turned into a 14 year old boy for a second there. Oh and you ought to know. Um, I'm me. He's him. This is us. Being us. Doing what we do. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And this is yet another wonderful, magnificently, fantastically great, brilliantly, magnificently, phantasmagorical episode of Hey Kids Comics. That was a nice list. Did you like that? Mm. I said fantastic twice, didn't I? I don't know. I ran out of wonderful ways to describe how wonderfully, wonderful we are. Is it a mountain town? It's blame uh, <laughs> Canada. Uh, before we begin today's most excellent show, uh, we have a brief diversion to talk about the novel and the audio adaptation. Oh, I suppose I should tell people what we're doing, aren't we? In yeah. case this is your very, very, very first episode, welcome. Mm-hmm. Join us, pull up a seat. We'll talk to you as if we're in the room with you, which isn't in any way strange or odd. Like an old person to a television. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Or to her cats. (laughs) Yes. Uh, If you've been listening for a while, welcome back. Pull up a chair. Join us. Sit a spell, as they used to say on the Beverly Hillbillies. Take a load off. Uh, We're in the middle... Well, roughly the middle, aren't we? Is this episode four? Yeah, so we're smack dab in the middle of our look at Night's Quest, which was the second part of the Night Trilogy, which was published by DC Comics in 1993 through 1994, in which Bruce Wayne was incapacitated by a, a bad guy called Bane, and the mantle of the bat was taken over by Jean Paul Vallée. Uh, so far, people who listened to the Nightfall coverage that we did will have noticed that there has been very few audio clips in this Night's Quest portion of the show from the 
audio adaptation that the BBC did in conjunction with producer Dirk Maggs. This is largely because, as I've already mentioned back in the first night's quest show, these issues are excised from both the novel and the audio adaptation. However, the upcoming excellent Joker Goes Hollywood arc is represented, albeit in truncated fashion, in the audio play with the Joker exceptionally played by actor Kerry Shale. Shale is a prolific voiceover artist and actor, Canadian by birth but based in the UK, who has an extensive array of credits so you probably have seen him or heard him in something. He was in Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, briefly, and more recently he was in the Day of the Moon episode of Doctor Who. I thought he was excellent as the Joker, approaching the role in a way very similar to Mark Hamill's portrayal. Here's a clip, and hopefully by the time you come back from this clip, the washing machine will have stopped. Berkowitz. Danny. Yeah, Danny. He wants points. He wants what? Points. He wants points. Yeah. Crocky the crocodile. Replace him. But There's got to be a hundred slobs we can stick in a rubber alligator costume. Yeah, but... Just stick some jerk in the suit and throw him in front of the camera. Yeah. Mr. Berkowitz, call on line four. <sighs> Lose him, Lorraine. Please, Calvin. It's the tenth time he's called in the last half hour. Yes? Mr. Calvin Berkowitz, yeah. I have a movie idea for yeah, you. Just make the pitch, huh? One word or less. It's the life story of a master criminal. I'm yawning, pal. I need something with an angle. Oh, I see. There are two. Yeah, gotta hang up. Sorry. The first is it's autobiographical. Yeah, I ain't hooked. Goodbye. The second is... You're in it! Calvin, I'm sorry! Oh my god! Joker! Oh, Hollywood, let's make movies! And we're back. And it's not. And it's not stopped. Oh, dear me. Damn you wanting clean clothes. I'm sorry. Night's I'd quest. Leave dirty clothes if it were up to me. Yeah, I know you would. You, you smell, boy. Night's quest continues with Detective Comics 671. That's it, though. For those of you that think that I illegally download these comics, I don't. I purchased them all off the rack. Yes, I bought the... Never. I bought these from wherever I bought them from. Oh, this one was bought from Thunderbooks in Blackpool. Or Thunderbooks 2 in Preston. Because it's still got the sticker on the back. And you only get a sticker in Thunderbooks. You only got a sticker there on the back cover. From Thunderbooks, yes, they didn't put the stickers on the front cover. It was was put them on the front cover too mainstream for them. Yes, very mainstream. Um, note, friendly American listeners, that the cost of this in the comic shop was one pound ten, whereas if we would wait a couple of months and buy it off the newsstands, we only paid seventy p. Is there any reason, any wonder, any reason, whatever? There's no rhyme or reason. It's all pointless. We're all here for the merest briefest second. So enjoy yourself while you can. Anyway, after that brief divergence into... um, (laughs) I just turned into Morrissey for a second. That brief divergence into maudlin indie songwriting hood. Um, What was I saying? If you waited longer, you'd get it for 70p. If you waited longer, you'd get it for 70p. And because I'm notoriously cheap, a lot of the time I waited longer. But apparently not in this case. It came out on December 28th, 1993, as a really good Kelly Jones cover with the Batman protecting a woman in a graveyard whilst being pursued by various universal horror monsters like the Mummy, Frankenstein's Monster and the Wolfman. I really like that cover. Jones's work really suits this kind of horrific kind of thing. Arguably more than superheroes. Yeah. That's just my opinion. What did you think of it, Michael? It's alright. 
Excellent, good. I'm glad I have you as my co-host. It's Kelly Jones. It's Kelly. Yeah, but that's, for Kelly Jones, that's an exceptionally good cover. Except... His hands are too small. His hands are too small. No, it's not his hands are too small. His hands just a circle with knives in it. His hands look stubby. It's a circle. I don't know. He looks like he's Captain Hook, but with lots of hooks. He looks like a four-year-old's drawn him, but they can't draw hands, so they just draw little stubs like he's been amputated. That's very true. The story is entitled The Cutting Room Floor and is written by Chuck Dixon, with art by Graham Nolan and Scott Hanna. Adrienne Roy coloured, John Costanza lettered, Darren Vincenzo assistant edited, and Scott Peterson edited. In all these stories, Batman is a creation of Bob Kane. And apparently I can't say Vincenzo without doing a fake faux Italian accent just like I can't say Jimmy Pamiani without doing some crappy New York accent it's the names it's not me I am compelled power of Christ compels you to do these things yes the names told me to do it the story to this one begins with the Joker being sat in a director's chair calling action he shows his test reel of a diminutive Peter Dinklage-esque Batman taking on criminals in a movie called appropriately enough, The Death of Batman, which the head of Paragon Pictures thinks has botho box office written all over it. He offers the Joker $10 million to start pre-production if he loses the dwarf. The Joker says as soon as he's nailed down the leading man, the movie will go ahead. Oh, and he has to lock both Zedmore and Berkowitz in a dungeon. Zedmore and Berkowitz being the two representatives of Paragon Pictures. Said leading man, a.k.a. the Dark Knight, is distracted from his nightly patrol by a screaming woman being attacked by Dracula, the Wolfman, and Frankenstein's monster, hence their appearance on the cover. Of course, this is all an elaborate ruse by the Joker, who has cameras set up for the action. Initial disappointment, where's his teen idol co-star, turns to excitement. Maybe this will still be fun. The Batman has rescued the girl and is still feeling some residual action in the utility belt area. He takes her to her college dorm at City College, where she takes full advantage of naivete and eases his throbbing utility belt. No, actually, that's not what happens. Batman after just... The last couple after the last couple of Catwoman issues, you fully believed that, though, didn't you? Um, Batman takes off, feeling her fear is oddly thrilling, and that her touch somehow broke the system. At the cave, St. Dumas appears, all Obi-Wan-like, and spouts some gibberish, and Jean-Paul whines that this work is never-ending! I was going to Natasha Station to pick up some power converters, man! The Joker, however, feels that the movie is flat, and decides to go location shooting. Whilst the Batman returns to City College to investigate the movie Monsters Muggers, and not to stalk Cindy Brooks, the girl he saved last night, at all. Oh, no sorry, Bob. Fortunately, an explosion stops the Batman getting all horny, and more movie characters, based this time upon Robocop, The Terminator and Leatherface, attack. The Batman defeats them easily, but one runs away, and he pursues it into an ersatz movie studio, where he realises that it's all been a setup. His concern for Cindy Brooks, who he fears is a pawn of this macabre scheme, overrides the system, and he makes his way to her dorm, where Robin is suddenly thrown out of the window to his death below. Oh, no. Oh, and indeed, no. What did you think of this one, young Michael? I hate to say it, because I know I'll get lots of hate mail. And you could have quoted Superman the movie, though. Oh, I know I'm going to get wrapped in the mouth for this, but so what? Well, yeah, people <laughs> will send mail saying how much I'm wrong and how the Flash is great. But I think the joke is about my movie. Maybe <laughs> than... The Flash is great. <laughs> You don't let that lie, are you? 
no. Okay. But but the Joker's Batman movie may be better than the Adam West one. I guarantee that no one in the Joker's movie would have sharp repellent bat spray. Well, no, but the bat the Batman midget is just as fat. The Batman midget. The Batman midget's quite funny, actually. To be honest with you, <laughs> I do like um, the Joker's bit when he's told he has to get rid of the. Uh, the dwarf. Gats! I would not to spoil my vision. Already my artistic integrity is assailed. The casting of Little Lenny is at the very core of this film's soul. Little Lenny. Yeah. And the children's costumes are like a get shot notice. Ah, well, Lenny will find other work. So children's costumes. So in the DC verse, you can just walk into a, uh, a shop and buy a Batman costume. Yes. Is that how Superman got his t-shirt now? Yes. He went to Twitch and being bought one, we've already talked about that. Isn't Batman an urban myth? Or is he not um, an urban myth at this point? I just get thoroughly now. confused by this. He's an urban myth now. And it was retconned that he was an urban myth after Zero Hour. All right, Zero Hour's not happened yet, has it? Because Zero Hour happens after Night's End, but before Prodigal, doesn't it? When does Reign of the Superman happen? Reign of the Superman is before this. This is in between Z- Zero Hour and Reign of Superman then? No, it isn't. It, it should Zero be. Hour's not happened yet. I said that's why it's in between Zero Hour and Reign of Batman. Yes, so Reign of Superman. Yeah. Yes, right. you're right, because we, we've we had an advert for Spilt Blood, which follows Reign of the Superman. And uh, Parallax is the antagonist. In that Zero as well, Hour. yes. And... The, the Hal Jordan goes all evil after Reign of Superman. Right. Yes, so you are correct, sir. Mm-hmm. So Batman's not an urban myth at this point. No. Alright, so See, forget... I use my Green Lantern chronology for the all of the DC. Everything comes back to Green Lantern. Um, page six. Yes. I, I kind of giggled a bit. Did you go... <laughs> no, it was just a bit of a... <laughs> All right. When when I was reading this this page here, yes, page six, and I realised that when I was reading this to do the notes, it was Halloween. It was quite appropriate for Halloween, wasn't it? Yeah. Despite the fact it came out in December. Um, page eight, panel three. Yes. When the Joker says he's changed his outfit, some kind of metallic outfit, very techno. If he pays attention to the Batman, you'll know that he changes his outfit more than Axl Rose. This Batman does. Yes. Yes, that's very true. Did, did you get that? Yes. Was that funner? I don't know. Why was it funner? Axl Rose, costume changing. Does he change his costumes a lot, well, no, Axl you're, Fat Boy? You're the one who stated that he changes his clothes like five times in one song. He's like Madonna. Yeah. Only not as good. No, I don't mind Guns N' Roses. Anyway, carry on, carry um, on, carry I on. Carry page on. 10 looks great. The shot where Batman's just diving down off a cliff. It is, it's excellent. And all it is is just him in a building. Yeah, it's a, it's a full-page splash that is really, really very good. Uh, do you only make notes for half of an issue? Um, no. Because you stop at page 10 every <laughs> time we do this. Yeah. yeah, it's like you read the first 10 pages and then get distracted by Facebook. I don't. I don't go on Facebook. I go on Steven's that. Same thing. And talk about comics on there. Do you? Mm. Yeah, that's fair enough. But it's, it's, I only write notes if there's something good. I've kind of stopped doing them. It's like, this panel looks great. This panel looks great. This panel looks funny. This panel looks great. <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, I do wonder if, if it was, I mean, see, it doesn't say when it's set. It could be set at Halloween. Because they could sell those Batman costumes for kids at Halloween, I suppose. Mm. I like his little boots. I liked that on page four, where he's talking to the representatives from Paragon Pictures. Apparently in Hollywood, being a homicidal maniac and a dangerous criminal are assets. <laughs> that amused me no well, end. How many films has Robert Downey Jr. been in? He's not a homicidal maniac, nor a dangerous <laughs> criminal. 
No, but there's, I, I have seen a picture of two women sat together at a table drinking tea saying, Marty, Mrs. Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yes, please, Mrs. Robert Downey Jr. You're very strange. Because in that Simpsons thing, hey, Luke, it's Robert Downey Jr. shooting at the policeman. I, I don't see a camera anymore. <laughs> That's a very old joke. Yeah. He's clean and sober now, we hasten to add, if there are any lawyers listening. <laughs> Graham Nolan's depiction of the Joker, moving swiftly on, on page four, is fantastic. He goes from tears of a clown to homicidal maniac in the space of two panels, mm. which is a marvellous artistic treat. I really enjoyed pages five and six where the Batman has no idea who the creatures are. The, the universal horror creatures. He thinks that they're wearing new gang colours. <laughs> Jean-Paul has led a really sheltered life, hasn't he? He had a very protective parent. Did he? Yeah, like, like Nemo's dad. Just like Nemo's dad. Mm. Yes, only without Dory. Mm. Who are you well, again? That, that would be Saint Dumas. It's just like, oh. Saint Dumas. Apparently that's it, kind of to Arkham City. Dumas. Is it Dum- I thought it was Dumas. Yeah, my Right. Just forget the... S- Dumb. Of Dumas. Page 8. This issue's fantastic, generally. Page 8, the Joker's wearing a monocle. Monocles are And cool. calling the Batman a prima donna for changing his outfit. Which amused me no end. Uh, I've said it once before, but it bears repeating. Jean-Paul is a nut job. And a very, success, a very successful one. Yes, he's a very successful nut job. But he's a very, he's a very for God's sake, he's a very sexually frustrated nut job as well. Yes. Judging by his actions in this and his actions in, with Catwoman in the last couple of issues. Was this before the internet? Probably, why? Back computer porn. <laughs> yes. Well. That big TV. Do you think he accesses back computer porn? Maybe. Bruce Wayne's going to get back. Is, what, what, yeah. what is this? And have to purge all of the history. <laughs> and he's going to blame Tim Drake. <laughs> I love that idea. Tim, what are, you, what are you using the Cray back computer for surfing for porn? What? It wasn't, wasn't me, it was Jean Paul. He came back all excited from seeing Catwoman's ass. I don't know. Um, there's a lovely piece of meta commentary on page 16. Before there was such a thing as meta-commentary. Ostensibly about the Joker's movie, but it could be read as a deliberate knock at the Jean-Paul character that the Batman is burly developed as a character and is two-dimensional and flat. Which I thought was quite cool. Um, I've said before I think Jean-Paul was a deliberate cipher. A dig at many 90s bullets and pouches characters and both the big two and over at Image. And reading the story with that context in mind, it works a lot better. Also... I think this is supposed to be noted film critics Sistical and Ebert, but being that those show's never been shown over here, this probably isn't as funny to us as it is to US readers. Imagine if that was Jonathan Ross and Barry Norman, which still means nothing to you, does it, because you don't know who Barry Norman is? Uh, Why not? It's a little joke for all our British people who remember Spitting Image. The art on page 17 is fantastic, especially, I sound like Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor now, don't I? Fantastic. You know what? You were fantastic. And so was I. I. The art on page 17, as I just said, is really good, especially the panel where the college lab explodes and the Batman's hiding behind his cape. Because he's a big pussy and he's scared of bright lights. (laughs) In fact, the art in this entire issue is strong, uh, complementing what is probably my favourite story in the Night's Quest run. As usual for writer Chuck Dixon, the story is a fast-paced action piece with characterisation and snappy dialogue thrown in along the way and is expertly paced. Uh, This was included in the Nightfall audio play, as I've already mentioned, uh, and was really good in that as well, but it's not in it for more than two or three minutes. 
They cut this entire three-issue storyline down to two or three scenes, which is a bit of a shame. But it's still good and still worth listening to. <laughs> I found those adverts funny. Which ones? The, the AIDS ones. I know I shouldn't find AIDS adverts funny. It's just no, there is a, there's an advert for HIV in the last page where Robin's concerned about somebody who's got HIV. Have you read the Justice League one? No. Where it's Booster Gold and... Um, oh, yes, talking. I have read that, yeah. That, that, that made me giggle a bit. <laughs> They're supposed to be public information announcements to help you. You're not supposed to laugh at them. Uh, no, I giggled. That's not laugh. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I'm allowed to giggle. Yeah, yeah. You're allowed to. You're allowed to take the mick out of bad I, adverts. I, I still giggle at penalised and anal and. <laughs> Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> you're such a child. The second part of the Joker Makes a Movie trilogy appeared in Detective Comics six seven two, which released on which was released sorry on January the twenty fifth, nineteen ninety four. The cover is another Kelly Jones piece depicting Robin falling to his death as Batman swoops in to save him. A flash of lightning adds a splash of colour, darling, to the pr- to a pretty good cover. It's called Smash Cut and produced by all the same people that did the last issue. Following my can't be our stance from last week, saying all that again would probably be as boring for you to listen to as it would be for me to say. So let's pretend that I did it and move on. Batman swoops in to rescue Robin from death by scrolling too far down on his computer so he can't read his notes. Batman swoops in to rescue Robin from Steph... From Steph? Yes, from Steph. I don't know who Steph is. Batman swoops in to rescue Robin from death by sudden impact and actually succeeds in catching him, much to the Joker's chagrin, who's a bit miffed he's rewriting the screenplay. Batman is just as miffed when he finds out that Cindy Brooks inhabits the Robin costume and vows that he will not underestimate the Joker again, promising to press his one advantage, that the Joker is facing a Batman nobody knows. After the Joker threatens Berkowitz and Zedmore, claiming he needs more money, he ups the ante and sends a, really pretty cool, the death of the Batman poster to the Gotham City Police Department, the newspapers and the underworld. Specifically the underworld, whom he offers $2 million to whoever offs the Batman. Speaking of, Jean-Paul blows off the bat signal to check on Cindy Brooks in the hospital, only to find out that she's been checked out by Alan Smithy. Did you get that when you were reading it? No. Did you know? I did. Batman lets the cops handle the Manchester Majestic Theatre clue on the movie posters, convinced he's got a better lead. The Joker must be using a film facility, and the only leasable one is Arcadia. Batman is correct, and after a series of gags all set up for the Joker's movie, gets hit in the face with a drugged pie. Tis was lives. He awakens to see Cindy tied upside down in a tank of water that is filling up rapidly whilst he is chained up also, forced to watch. Page three, panel one. Page three, panel one. It, it, that, in that one, it's more obvious, but or that one there. The Joker's hat, the Batman and the, the Do Not sign yeah. on it, it's kind of like the Nightfall countdown sign. It is a bit. Yeah, I wonder if that was um, intended. That was quite good, that. Yeah. Um, the reviews on the poster made me laugh quite a bit. 
Yeah, the, the entire poster. The, the entire the poster, the Joker poster is really cool. In addition to the slogan "You believe a Batman can die," there are numerous quotes from notables that could be on any crappy generic film poster, but with smaller type asides, claiming the Joker will off various critics if they don't say nice things. The credits are also pretty much all the Joker as well. What can I say? He's an auteur. Um, some of these quotes are: "I give it four stars." Wham TV. And then in little letters, don't hit me again. A towering cinematic achievement. Good morning, Gotham. I'd say that even if it didn't have a blowtorch held to my feet. I have to say it's the finest film of the year to date. Oh, the Joker will kill my family. Gotham Gazette. You've got to see this movie. My life depends on it. News time. Um, the Joker presents a Paragon Pictures production of The Death of Batman, starring the Joker, Batman, and a cast of a thousand killers. Screenplay by the Joker, music by the Joker, based on a psychotic obsession by the Joker, directed by the Joker, a Joker production, which I quite like. And I, I, I quite got that slogan, you'll believe Batman can die. Yeah. I, I got it. Well done. It's Superman. I'm very impressed. I like the rating on the movie poster as well, which is B, suitable for everyone except Batman, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> um, so Batman came to Greater Manchester in a previous issue. Yes, he did. And, and now the Joker's coming to Manchester. Yeah, well, he's coming to the Manchester Majestic Theatre. Is that in Manchester? I presume it's in Gotham. Manchester Majestic. Well, the Majestic Theatre's in Gotham, anyway. Mm. I don't know why it's, it's got Manchester written on it. I don't understand that. Uh, I love the capage on page two. Were Batman swinging around to save Robin? Look at that. Yeah. That's a fantastic job with the cape, though, and it's really well coloured as well that's great I'm really enjoying that uh, there are so many other little great touches in this issue from the Joker's movie inspired gags Norman Bates' mum the James Bond-esque water pit filled with crocodiles and Godzilla appearances by Harold Lloyd Stan and Ollie and the Keystone Cops or as close as licensing will allow Montoya's Kojak reference Gordon and Montoya discussing the changes in the Batman Jean-Paul showing he's not as bad at the detective stuff as he thinks he is to the absolutely fantastic scene right at the end where the Batman gets a pie in the face <laughs> oh it's great it's quality Chris Tarrant must have uh, loved this issue if he you know read it to the final page which is a Casablanca inspired shot of the Joker I thought this was class all the way to be honest with you. Is that all I'm going to get off you? Mm. No, it was good. But? But I, I don't think Knight's Quest was as good. As what? Any of the other Knight's we haven't read. We haven't done Knight's End yet. So well, I I've not read it. Have you read Knight's End? I've read all of yeah. right, Well, we will be covering Knight's End, probably in season three in the new year. The story continued, much like The Washing Machine, into Detective Comics 673, which was released on February 22nd, 1994, but cover dated April. It was called Losing the Light, and was by all the usual suspects, Dixon, Nolan, Hannah, yada, yada, yada. The cover has a fugly Batman. I mean, really effing ugly. Saving a uh, butch lesbian. Saving a butch lesbian, yes. Chained up whilst the Joker films Cindy Brooks drowning in a tank of water. He don't do good women, does he, Kelly Jones? No. To be honest with you. It's very nitpicky, but, you know, I'm a comics fan, so that's what we do. There seems to have been a real miscommunication between the interior artist and the cover artist, as Cindy is not hanging face down on the cover. Rather, she's facing the correct way, which I think means she wouldn't float like this, depending, of course, on Cindy's weight and the salt content of the water. It's not Kelly Jones's finest hour. Also, the Joker doesn't have a Duncan MacLeod-esque ponytail. Yeah. On the cover. How long do you think it took him to draw those bullets? Oh, probably longer than it took him to draw the woman. 
one we imagine. I do like that she's wearing Daisy Dukes, whereas in the issue she's actually wearing a swimsuit. But, you know, what can you do? Batman is chained up facing a firing squad. The cape, he tells us, is reinforced Kevlar and ceramic armour. His bodysuit, chain-link steel mesh inside a no-mech shell, yet neither can withstand this kind of pounding for long. Turns out it can, because the Joker gave the squad blanks. Can't have the extras claiming the glory when the above the title star is around. The Batman has used this time to use the shurikens to loosen the chains from the floor, and the Dark Knight rises. The mooks attack, but, watching Batman move and take the extras out, the Joker realises that it's not him. Something's different. The way he moves, the ferocity, the lack of grace, the sheer brutality. It's not him! If that was his description of how it's not being Batman, then he's not seen much Batman, has he? Yes. He's not graceful. Yes, he is. Bruce Wayne is. Bruce Wayne moves like a dancer. Okay. Yes, that's always been my interpretation of it. Bruce Wayne like a dancer. What does Dick Grayson move as? Uh, an acrobat. Are they not the same? Mm, one could consider them to be similar in many ways. Anyway, Batman releases Cindy, only to have her tell him the Joker hired her to play the victim in his movie. Whilst the Joker murders his co-conspirators, Batman, burned by Cindy's betrayal, turns to the system to guide him. He pursues the Joker through the studio to reach the grand finale. The Joker, in full top hat and tails, has a Paragon Pictures producers, Berkowitz and Zed Moore and the secretary, tied up with Semtex collars. And he's just going to kill them now he knows he's not facing the real Batman. He's not really a match for Jean-Paul, though, who, do act- who deactivates the bombs and the Joker pretty quickly. The Joker begs for the white coats to come and pick him up, but Batman breaks his arm in two places and knocks him down. He's about to do something else, but Kitch and the rest of the GCPD arrive just in time to stop him. Montoya and Bullock order the Joker restrained, but this doesn't stop him from escaping from the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Even the Joker knows that that this Batman isn't Bruce Wayne, and yet Commissioner Gordon can't. Well, Catwoman spotted straight away as well, didn't she? But in this issue, doesn't Commissioner Gordon say that he does know it's not the same Batman? Well, see, I think he knows, but he's in denial. Yeah. Which makes more sense than him just being crap at his job. Because I think he'd know straight away. This ain't the Adam West Batman. No, this isn't Commissioner Lazy Arse Gordon from the Adam West TV show. Who, you know, as we've pointed out before, was such a work-shy fop. <laughs> if he had jaywalkers... He could have been a British construction worker. <laughs> oh! If they had jaywalkers in Gotham City, he said, You know what this means, Chief O'Hara? We must call the Batman! Why is Commissioner gone, Irish? Bigora! <laughs> I don't know. Just, just the way it came out, to be honest with you. Um, oh, it's still me. Yeah. Um, page 11, panel 1. Page 11, panel 1. I yes. think it looks great. Where it's just Joker and the guys dying. Yeah, the Joker shooting the guys in silhouette with Tomb Tomb in the background. Tomb Yeah, the yeah, gun goes Tomb Tomb. Well, they probably couldn't use Blam. I think Frank Miller had um, 
Did Frank Miller copyright Blam? I think Frank Miller may have copyrighted Blam, yes. <laughs> um, well, there's a conversation in this issue on page 12 between Sir Essen and Commissioner Gordon, where Sir is once again putting out the theory that, you, you know, you don't really know Batman. How much do you know about him, really? Mm. And he's, it's the same man, it's the same man. He's in denial, yeah. is my thinking. I don't think he doesn't know. Um, and page 19, panel 5. Yes. It, it looks a lot like the cover to the new Detective Comics. Well, that one? Yeah. Why? Because the cover to the new Detective Comics has Joker, kind of like that, hmm. lying on the floor, and Batman stood on top of him looking all mean and, mo- mean and moody. For any future people that may be listening, what is the current issue of Detective Comics? Detective Comics 1. Number 1? Yes, All that right. was the cover I was on about. All right. Well, that's not the current one. Issue three's out this week, isn't it? Well, I've, I've only got two. Oh, well, I will. We will get issue three. Uh, the opening pages to this are just, are just that's uh, fantastic. <laughs> going to say that again. That's going to be the new drinking game, isn't it? Is it's going to replace anywhere. Um, yeah. Okay then. Um, um, anywhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Um, so the the Joker begins. sets every so the story begins. Joker sets everybody up, but inadvertently gives Batman time to get loose. While John Paul's narration is all related to the system, the two juxtapose quite nicely. I thought. Page six. Page five. Before that, page five, panel one's brilliant. Mm. Batman breaking out of the chains. That's that's excellent, that. Page six, I love the strong guy who thinks he can take on the Batman, rips his shirt off before tackling him. Who does he think he is? Captain Kirk? <laughs> yeah. And maybe just a tiny little bit homoerotic. Yeah. Just saying. Pages six and seven are just fantastic generally. The Joker has some great dialogue about hating last-minute rewrites and saving it in the editing room. But the real kicker is page seven where the Joker realises this isn't Batman. At least... Not his Batman. Like you say, it's quite interesting that he spotted it yeah. as quickly as this, and Catwoman spotted it straight away. But Gordon and everyone else just thinks he's got a new attitude. Well, all the villains would, wouldn't they? Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose they'd be more likely to notice straight away. Page nine, the Joker hired Cindy to be in his movie. The Joker hired Cindy. And she at no point suspected that he'd double-cross her. At no point... Did it cross her mind that psychotic criminal killer, the Joker, who has been in Arkham Asylum more times than Katie Price has sucked footballers? <laughs> she never once thought that the Joker would double cross her. No. How dumb is she? <laughs> Oh, dear God. It is, however, a very nice femme fatale moment as Jean-Paul realised that, as with all the best crime noirs, women cannot be trusted. Mm. Only in crime noirs, obviously. In real life, women are totally trustworthy (laughs) because I'm sat opposite my wife at the moment and I would not say anything about the trustworthiness of women. Michael, she's got her laser eyes out. Michael. Michael, she's laserizing me! Omega beams, goddammit, get down! <laughs> this is also, to get back to what we were talking about before my eyes are burned out of my skull, uh, a major turning point in the whole storyline. Up until now, Jean-Paul has been at war with the system, trying not to kill, as seen in Shadow of the Bat and other issues of Tech and Batman. However, here, following his betrayal at the hands of Cindy, who isn't even a war really of her part in all of this he turns fully to the system this plays out in a couple of issues time in Batman Okay. page 12 we've already discussed this slightly and I didn't really mention this scene in the recap because it's a subplot alert by and large but the scene where Gordon and Sarah Essen where she mentions many people call Batman 
And maybe this is one of the times. God knows. I really do think that. Page 13, panel 2, Robbie the Robot! Yes. Robbie the Robot's there. I would so have taken that home with me. <laughs> if I was Batman. I I'm having that. Put it in your Batmobile. Yeah, put it, put it in the Bat Train! <laughs> you got a robot in the Bat Train. That would be cool. I love that the grand finale to this is a musical number. And on page four, 15, sorry, the Joker calls him the Urzatz Bats, which I thought was a really funny play on words. <laughs> but maybe that's just me. Page 18 and 19 has fantastic art. You are fantastic. Oh, thank you. And so was I. Uh, specifically the panel four on page 18, where Batman grabs a hold of the Joker by his hair before putting the smack down on him. Uh, and as a Batman, I think he's fully prepared to kill the Joker there and then. Mm. Surprisingly, Bullock is all for it, even though Montoya feels Batman is losing his way. Although maybe it's not that surprising that Bullock could be totally for him killing the Joker, actually. It'd save him, him having to do it, wouldn't it? Mm. Overall, I thought this was an excellent three-parter that spinned the story off into a different direction. With his embracing of the system, Jean-Paul is a Batman who is well prepared to kill if necessary. And this makes a wildly different character from the one we'd seen in previous issues. The script is, again, expertly structured by Dixon with lots of little in-jokes and character asides. Honestly, this is still, having reread most of this by now, my favourite Night's Quest storyline, as the Joker is as wonderfully deranged as ever, but characterised magnificently. This isn't a bloodbath. The Joker, obviously on a good day, isn't killing people violently and needlessly for the sake of it, unless it, you know, amuses him to do so. But he's still a force to be reckoned with. The scene where he figures out this isn't Batman and just loses interest in the whole thing makes the issue. What did you think of it as a whole? As a three-part into I, I, itself? I, I thought it was good. Did you enjoy reading it? I did, yeah. I did, as... I do enjoy reading these, you know. Good, good, good. Uh, this has been my favourite storyline so far. Mine's Tallyman. Is it still the Tallyman stuff? Yeah. The Alan Grant stuff has been good, but I think Chuck Dixon's putting it in the back of the net so far in this particular storyline, with Doug Mensch coming up slowly, sadly, behind. Uh, there's some good ads this month, including Batman trading cards with a very roided-up Batman, a brilliant Brian Bolland ad for a Legend of the Dark Knight trade with Batmite on it. Mm. I, I, thought, love, I thought that was a good advert. Gotta love a little bat batting. Damage, which I've never read, and acne control. Uh, there's a great DC Universe page with a number Wait, of TV... Oh, is, sorry. Is, why are they advertising that in a comic, do you think? Uh, I don't know, seeing as the age of reading comics now are all 40 plus, apparently. Yeah. Apart from you. Yeah. You're uh, you're the exception that proves <laughs> the rule, really, I suppose. <laughs> there's a great DC Universe page with a number of TV shows on it as imagined in the DC universe, with some great casting. Aidan Quinn as the Joker, John Goodman as Kilowog, and Paul Williams as Gantet being my favourites. But as usual for this era, the comic book ads are the best. <laughs> the hot releases this week are Batman Spawn by Frank Miller and Todd McFarlane. Uh, that does look good, though. The Todd McFarlane stuff? Mm. Do you think? Well, I, I think that Batman looks good. It's all cape. There's not actual any drawing there. The colourist has done most of that. <laughs> Todd McFarlane could have just drawn an outline there and said to the colourist, fill this in black. Todd McFarlane probably did. Todd McFarlane probably did, yeah. Uh, there's an advert for Tech 675, which will be the conclusion of Night's Quest, according to this, and we'll have an embossed gold foil cover 
looking forward to that. I don't think I've got the special cover for that one, to be honest. But so I've got nothing to stroke. So you've got nothing to stroke. That well, you've got something to stroke, but <laughs> not on a family show. Uh, loads of pretty cool Superman Doomsday stuff, including a poster by Jerry Hardway, a T-shirt, and Hunter Prey is apparently coming out very soon. And Ghost Rider Fifty has a die cut cover. It's a die cut cover. Um, do you know I don't know? Wasn't it raised off the cover and? that kind of thing oh right yeah something like that anyway um, actually most of the stuff here is pretty cool it's, it's, we can't really slag a lot of this off can we because the Ultraverse not being advertised on this no no it's yeah, Superman it Doomsday which is fine Batman Night's Quest which is fine Spawn vs Batman well, I've only ever read the Todd McFarlane Frank Miller one I've never read the one DC did Action Comics 700 is mentioned Star Wars Galaxy Trading Cards which as I recall were pretty good and X-Men The Executioner's Song there's nothing really stupid this week, which annoys me because we can't take the mick out of it, which is a shame, isn't it? Uh, on the letters page, Scott A. Misco from Lawrenceville, Georgia, points out that Jean-Paul's gloves are really stupid. Well, I just realised, Yes. on the previous cover for Tech 8... Robin dies at dawn. Six, yeah. Yeah. He's got fingers and not knives. Oh, yeah. Well, it could be the angle, but it doesn't look like he's wearing his implausibly spiky gloves of death. Uh, We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey, you. Yes, you, hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well, evidently you do, because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do. Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well, then, have I got the show for you. Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser known monsters, like Yappa, Yongari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies, to comic books, to video games. And we're kicking it old school at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com. Check it out, won't you? And remember, the EDD has got their eyes on you! 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 Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. And we're back. Excellent, well done. Um, as you're probably going to be bored of me saying by the end of the series, Shadow of the Bat 24 has another excellently painted cover by Brian Stelfreeze, this time of Batman protecting a bunch of children and looking at us, the audience, as if to say, bring it on, and not swear to me. <laughs> not being an artist, I'm not sure what the technique of this is, but it looks a bit washed out or smoky. Uh, and it really suits that cover, Thanks, I think. Felix. Is it? Is that what it is? It It doesn't look penciled and inked to me. It looks very rough. Or maybe it is just penciled and then coloured. Or maybe, like you said, there's acrylics on there. I don't know. But it's really, really good. Why is that kid blue? Is it not just, like, supposed to be the colouring? I think. He's not going to top on, though. He's blue. No, well, that's right. It's just the colouring. Because if you have a look, the splashes of colour 
goes across the bottom. Splashes of colour, darling. Um, so I think maybe there's a blue light shining on them. Okay. It's still very good, I think. Do you like that cover? It's alright. Excellent, good. I've got loads of freaky children looking at me. Well, yeah. And they are all freaky children, aren't <laughs> <Yeah>. they? <laughs> um, this issue came out on the 21st of December 1993, and it's called The Immigrant Rosemary's Baby. It was written by Alan Grant, with art by Vince Giarano. Letters and Colours by Adrienne Roy and Todd Klein. No editor is credited in the production of this edi- issue. So maybe no editor was hurt in the production of this issue. And that's why there's no credit for him, yeah. Batman watches as a thug gang work the docks, preying on anyone they can get their hooks into. In this case, an illegal immigrant with a bag full of money. When they see the Batman, they give the money back and flee. But the Batman is no mood to let them. After laying down a little smack, Batman threatens that if he sees them out after dark again, they'll spend a little time in hospital. He turns back to the lady and asks if she is an illegal. She is, but she's here to buy back her baby. In flashback, we learn that Rosemary has had to endure hardships for family from guerrillas fighting a civil war to military trying to protect the state. When her husband was taken, she ultimately had nothing left to bargain with and sold the baby to get the money to go buy back her husband. But her husband was already dead. She's now come to Gotham to retrieve her baby. This Batman wants nothing to do with it, but when Rosemary points out that her mother will do anything for her child, even his mother, this hits a nerve. John Paul never knew his mother. Much like Luke Skywalker. A lot of Star Wars references this week. Rosemary's baby fetched $50, and she was told he was taken to a good family in California. In fact, the baby was taken to Gotham. Batman calls Gordon and informs him of the sitch and starts investigating. The detective work bores him. I know detective work bores you, but Batman soon finds out that all roads lead to Rayo, Dr. Rayo, who runs a nice sideline in illegal adoption. Batman finds out his next meeting place and is waiting. However, the truck with new acquisitions arrives and knows something is wrong as Dr. Rayo hasn't left the light on. Leave a light on for me! A signal that everything is good. They run, Batman follows, the conclusion never really in any doubt. Rather than go to jail, however, the drivers jump, leaving the van full of babies to careen into a busy intersection. The Batman stops the van and finds Rosemary's baby. He vanishes all thoughts of his own mother. He is the Batman. Wasn't Rosemary's Baby that old horror movie with a Satan worshipping old people? Uh, yeah, but despite the title, this doesn't seem to have any similarity with the Ira Levin novel and the Roman Polanski film it spawned, that I can remember anyway. Um, it was a demon worshipping. It's been a while since I saw Rosemary's demon Baby. Pensioners. Yeah, haven't her neighbours sold her unborn child? to the devil or something I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby since I was about your age I've not seen that at all it's something like that anyway fair enough yes Um, page 6 panel 2 yes on on the recap pages Um, it looks like her husband is a scarecrow just look at it yes he does oh the tally man yeah Yeah, fair enough on page 7 panels 4 and 6 Yes. Batman 
kind of acts like a dick to this woman. Yes. And then he gets all shocked and surprised when she yells at him. Well, yes. That's fair enough. Also, I like the art in this. You like this one generally because you've done notes for it. I know, but I, I do like this artist. Um, I do like the Shadow of the Bat stuff. But um, I like the art in this. Even though I can't take page 8 panel 3 seriously. The, the guy wearing the glasses there hmm. has a derp face. A what face? Google it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. It, it's kind of like wonky eyes and a silly face like... <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. I thought you were going to complain about the Gotham City Police Department building oh, again. Oh, no, I like that. Which just looks like a huge cigar. See, what I thought it was, was there were things coming off it, so it was like a... You know, like in prisons where it's square-based and yeah. on the corners there's a big tower? Yeah. I thought it was like that. It does look like the tower of a prison. Yeah. Yeah. This may just be me, but I think that this artist, having 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 not seen him draw a normal Batman, draws this Batman better. All the spikes and wavy cape stuff really works with this style of art. It, Vince Giorano has really grown on me as an artist, and uh, I do agree. Um, once again, Giorano's art is a mixture of influences combining to make a whole page four, panel two for example, of Batman threatening a guy who is shaded all in black except for the red blood running down his face is very Frank Miller. Yeah. But the shot of the bat signal on page nine is exceptional. That one, uh, And the shot of Commissioner Gordon on the same page. The, the single page splash on page 13, like you say, is excellent with all the sharp angles and the cape. Same on page 16. It's brilliant. I've really grown to like him as an artist. Cons- um, considering I really didn't like it in the first issue that he did. Yeah. And then by the end of that issue, I'd kind of begrudgingly gone, yeah, it's all right. I've got to the end of these three or four issues that he's drawn, and I think he's fantastic. Mm. He's, he is just the right mixture of realism-based, but stylized, but cartoony mixed in with it. I just think it's really good. I really do. I think it's fantastic artwork. Really do like it. On page 15, yeah. it kind of reminds me of Frank Critley's work on All-Star Superman, where the page borders would be the perimeter of a building, mm. and then all the panels inside it would be the rooms inside. Right. Or is that in Batman and Robin? Or the art in the Batwoman stuff? Or well, Elegy. Yeah, or maybe some other artist that you can think of off the top of your head. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> it is the the panel the way the page is laid out for those of you that aren't looking at the comic book like we are the very top panel runs across the top of the page and you see Batman's cape disappearing around the back of the Rayo Fertility Clinic but then the rest of the page is black borders implying that the rest of it is the fertility clinic and the other panels on the page are all just on the building so it is it's really good it's really well laid out I'm quite impressed with it mm. to be honest with you um, page 21, panel 3. Yeah. Looks great. And, page uh, 21, panel 3. And another shot of Batman with the sun shining out of his behind. Yeah. Yeah. At least it's not on the torch on his chest. Well, at least he's not going to torch on his chest now. But it also looks like too steep of a hill on the next panel. Well, the artistic license. Sure, I mean, surely health and safety would have got on the hands all over that hill. Well, San Francisco looks like that. Yeah. San Francisco has hills everywhere. Uh, yeah, page 5. The system translates foreign languages for Jean-Paul. 
I didn't know he did that, did you? He's got a TARDIS in his head. He's got a TARDIS in his head, yes. This is also another subtle way the writers have differentiated between him and Bruce Wayne. Bruce has worked for every skill he has. He's trained his body and his mind to operate at peak perfection, whereas Jean-Paul has been given all these skills without having to learn them. Um, and as we all know, knowledge without proper learning is useless. Mm. Uh, page 8, we've already discussed how wonderful the Gotham City Police Department is when depicted by Vince Giorano. It looks like a lighthouse in the middle of a city, which just appeals to my sense of the absurd. I don't know why, it just does. Page 13 to 18, which in the synopsis I did truncate quite a lot because of the whole point of synopsis is, as the name may suggest, to give you an overview of the story. It's not for me to go through panel by panel and explain what's going on. Hopefully you get a gist of the story from what we're explaining. But 14, 13 through 18, Jean-Paul does some really cool detective work. And when he finds Dr. Rayo and snatches him, some quite hysterical work as well. The artwork, the panel layouts, I think I've raved about this enough to be honest with you. Um, as we mentioned, despite the title, this doesn't have anything to do with the film of the same name. What it is, is a good little one-issue tale that once again gives a little background into Jean-Paul's damaged psyche. It's been said that a lot of American fiction, when you boil it down, is about the main protagonist's relationship with the father, and it's a potent theme, but rarely is it about the mother. So here then, Alan Grant, a Scottish writer, redresses the balance a little and wraps it up alongside a tale concerning child trafficking, illegal adoption and the softer side of Jean-Paul. And it's a testament to how good a writer he normally is that this story, excellent by any measure, comes across as a bit of a lesser effort when compared to his other work. It's by no means bad, it's just not as great as normal. The art, you're bored of this by now, but I think it is fantastic I can't think of when I've done such a complete about face on the work of a particular artist in such a short time but Girano's art's really grown on me it's stylized, yes also a bit abstract but there are certain pages that are just fantastic if you have the issue go and dig it out of your long boxes or illegally download a copy from somewhere we won't tell we won't tell uh, and I urge you to check out page 1 panel 2 page 4 panel 2 page 8 panel 1 page 9 panels 2 and 3 the splash on page 13 the wonderful layouts and the colouring on page 14 Jean-Paul's grin on page 17 panel 7 the Batman snatching Dr. Rayo in panels 4 through 6 of page 18 the Batman embedding his shurikens in the arm of the bad guy on page 20 and him shooting at the Batman on panel 2. Kudos here also to the colourist, the late Adrienne Roy, the magnificently choreographed action sequences on page 21 and 22, and the masterful final panels. Have I gushed about this one enough? There's a couple of good adverts in this as well. Steel is apparently getting his own series by Bogdanov of Sermons and Batista and Faber. Did he get his own TV show or film? He got his own film. Right. Where they removed all references to him being related to Superman in any way. Okay. Well, I've never seen it, so I don't know whether it's any good or not. Sepultura apparently released a new album, which was 2,000 years in the making, by all accounts. I don't believe that it really was 2,000. NFL, years in the making. Legion of Superheroes Archives is coming out. This time, it's the Teen Titans' turn to talk to us about... What are they saying? Getting AIDS. Hmm. Mm. 
Thank you very much for that, Teen Titans. And we Wake Up America. Get superheroes to talk about it. That would have been funnier. <laughs> They're not meant to be funny. <laughs> well, they should have had Firestar, North Star. Yeah. North Star, isn't it? North Star, who was magnificently written, really subtle. One of those things that if you didn't know he was gay when John Byrne was doing it, you wouldn't have known. But when you did know, it was like, how could I not have spotted that? By the time we get to the 90s, was it Fabian Nietzsche? I can't remember who the writer was. Has him turn around with a full page spread saying, I'm gay! And you're like, where has the subtlety gone, Marvel? Really? Captain Captain Subtle. Captain Subtle. Yeah. In the Warren Ellis authority stuff, we all know Apollo and... Midnight. Midnight. Yeah. Mark Miller. Yeah, but he did it really cleverly, didn't he? He yeah. didn't actually come out and have them shagging on panel. Mark Miller does. Yes. And they get married. Yes. Well, I don't mind them getting married. Well, no. I, I don't, don't mind that at all. It's just not as subtle as Alice. Well, you know. I don't think Mark Miller would know subtle if he wrapped it in a brick and dropped it on his head, would he, really? <laughs> to be honest with you. Anyway... Finally, tonight we're going to wrap up with a brief look at Robin number four, which came out on January the 4th, 1994, and was again by Chuck Dixon, Tom Grummet, and Ray Kreising, and was called Breathless. Leave me breathless, oh, oh, oh. I wish sometimes that this was a visual medium because Michael's face he's just sat there looking at me appalled that not only do I sing publicly but I'm doing it in a way that other people get to hear it as well you are really embarrassed when I do that aren't you? No, it's just I have to suffer through this as well <laughs> You could sing as well I, I could But you're not I, going I, to I do, it's just you tell me not to I don't tell you not to it's your show as well you can do what you want the synopsis for this one Robin has recovered from being clobbered by the spoiler aka Stephanie Brown aka daughter of the clue master and they find a clue a clue a clue a clue Gesundheit as shotgun and bullock show arguing <laughs> whose crime scene it is quickly hiding under the beds in the rundown apartment a shotgun demands to see bullock's search warrant and when he doesn't have one kicks him out meanwhile the clue master the electrocutioner and headbanger which is the name Zonk's currently going under, plan the heist. Robin uses his deductive skills, deductive skills, deductive skills, and figures out that the armoured car with soiled and worn out currency is a ripe target. He's right, of course, and the threesome hit the car and Robin hits them. Well, Clue Master, anyway. They both get trapped in the back of an armoured car as the two drive them away. Robin knocks out Clue Master, but Electrocutioner and Headbanger drop the car into an already prepared hole and start filling it with concrete. With Robin and Clue Master... Still inside. Did I not stop to think? Oh, it was Clue Master gone. They thought, it's explained in the next issue, they thought <laughs> he's gone off and gone and done something else, which oh, is okay. why they're not expecting him back straight away. So they do explain that in issue number five. Fair enough. Yes. I thought it was another excellent issue by Dixon. Fantastic art by Tom Grummond. Jean Paul is nothing to do with this apart from a brief mention, but the book is too good not to cover. Or I think it is anyway. I don't think it's all that good, really. You're not enjoying it at all, are you? I think this is the best teenage superhero stuff I've read since the early days of Spider-Man. I don't like any teenage superhero you know, stuff. See, when, see, Static was really good. Mm. At see, least I thought it was. My favourite... This I didn't really like Tim Drake, to be honest. Why not? What did you not like about Tim? I don't know, I just didn't. See, I like Tim a lot. I think Tim's great. I only really like Nightwing and Damien. You like Damien? I do. <laughs> 
Alright, fair enough. I'll put it this way, I'm one of the people who actually quite like Lafries. Lafleys. Yeah. I just thought he was crap. Uh, go on, anything you have to say about this? I don't like Shotgun. Why not? He's annoying. I See, I quite like him as well. I don't. Yeah, right, you have those police officers like, in the name of the law, will accept police officers to come in into your territory and, and, and help you sort stuff Once out. Once more in the like, name of the law. And this guy's like, no. <laughs> I like as your lad said to me, can you jazz? I said, what? He said, jazz. I said, jazz. He said, yes. I said, oh. He said, you. I said, me. He said, yes. I said, no. He said, oh. Oh. Excellent. And finally, really, truly, honestly, finally tonight, because we're coming up on the hour mark, what's Bruce Wayne been up to? Well, he's been appearing in the pages of the Justice League Task Force. What's what? Justice League Task Force? <laughs> I hear you ask. Very well done. Jolly good question. I had never even heard of Justice League Task Force until it came to doing the research for this show. Oh, I have. And I'd certainly never read an issue, let alone owned one. However, thanks to the fundamental interconnectedness of all things, I was able to latch onto a copy of number four of this title, which came out on July 27th, 1993, and was called The Arsenal of Souls, written by Chuck Dixon, with art by Gabriel Morissette and Dick Giordano. However... Arsenal. We're only really interested in the last page, whereby John Johns, a.k.a. the Martian Manhunter, receives a telephone call from the Batman, actually Bruce Wayne, not Jean-Paul, who asks him for help with an investigation. The trail, Bruce says, leads to London, and he'll need the resources of the outfit. He hangs up and tells Alfred that millions will die without the help of the League. Bum, bum, bum! Okay. And that's it. Not much to say about this, really. It's a couple of panels leading into next issue. Uh, speaking of next issue, next time we'll be looking at Batman 505, Shadow of the Bat 25, Batman 506, Batman 507, Robin 5, and Justice League Task Force 5. At least I think we will. Okay. Okie dokie. Uh, that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you did. Let us know if you didn't. Yes. It'll be more interesting if you say you didn't. <laughs> Especially if you some way find, <clears throat> especially if you find some way to point out that I'm wrong, because that always amuses Michael no end. It does. Yes. And well, I'm so I'm so bored of being told we're great. Uh, are you really? Yeah. God, it's amazing that your ego fits in this room, <laughs> isn't it? We'll see you next time. Bye. Uh. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, 
www.forumforgeeks.com where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.